This is Zealous, an in-depth look behind the scenes of legal matters straight from the attorneys of Gimbel, Riley, Garen, and Brown. Welcome to Zealous. I'm your host, Brianna Meyer, and this is the place to immerse yourself in the legal world. Today we have a very special episode, not only in content, but in format as well. I am sitting down with the beloved D. Michael Guerin and talking about Mike's life, his career, his advice for younger attorneys, and his hopes for the city of Milwaukee. There's no other segments, there's no definition of the day, just a real, honest conversation with someone who has seen a thing or two. So without any further ado, let's dive into it. We are on location in your office, and you have had this office for quite some time. I think I've had this for many, many years. Because <laughs> you have been around for quite some time, and you are definitely one of the most experienced attorneys in the office. As... Well, thank you for saying that. But, uh, I have had a wonderful career, and as a result, there are a lot of great experiences. Yeah, and I think one thing that sets you apart from almost every other attorney that I've known or heard of is that you start off in law enforcement. I did. I started off as a city of Milwaukee police officer for many years and then uh, left because I disliked the job because I loved my position as a city of Milwaukee police officer. But uh, I took a job with the Wisconsin Department of Justice as a criminal investigator. And uh, when that didn't turn out as great as I thought that it would be that I applied for law school and chose chose law as a career. Yeah, you did. And what do you think? Well, I mean, first of all, we could talk for hours about stories that you have from being a police officer because you were a police officer during some pretty wild times. Well, I was a police officer during the 60s, right. which is obviously <laughs> before you were born. But uh, those were very active times in the, in the city of Milwaukee. We had what they called the civil disturbance that uh, broke out of me, frankly, in the area that my squad covered traditionally. And uh, so then they started the open housing marches and I uh, attended every one of those. I'd like to look back and say I attended those as a protester, but I did not. I attended those as a police officer and attended almost every one of the open housing marches that were occurred. And when I left the justice, when I left to go to the Justice Department, I walked right into the bombing that was from the Army Math Research Center in that district Washington was killed. And uh, that was uh, something that fell within our bailiwick and we investigated that. So it's been a very, it's a very exciting times. yes. I, I would definitely agree. And what about your time in law enforcement really pushed you towards law school? Well, I don't think I had a burning desire to become a lawyer, but I did work with a lot of lawyers as a police officer because in those days, some weird reason in the area that I worked in, we ended up going to court almost every day. And mm-hmm. as a result, we interacted with a, a lot of uh, a lot of lawyers, many of whom were, if you will, handling small matters, but others of whom were handling very large trials. And I gained a tremendous amount of respect for some of the lawyers who I interacted with. And during those days, people like uh, uh, Bill Coffey and Bob Lerner and uh, Jim Schell uh, would bring these writs in at night every time we'd arrest somebody. Yeah. 
So we started to respect those people and I'm very honestly think they respected me. I have no doubt like that they respected you. And I will say that, you know, the legal profession is very lucky that you switched tracks oh. because I think you've contributed a lot to the Milwaukee legal scene. Well, I thank you for saying that. And I think that most lawyers and yourself included will look back on their career and say, I did help somebody along the way, but I didn't do enough. I understand the, the sentiment for sure, but, um, and without this becoming too much of an emotional roller coaster, Mike, you have done more than enough. And I can, I don't guarantee people things, but I can guarantee you that. Well, I have, as I say, I was fortunate to become involved in a very active practice when Frank hired, Frank Gimble hired me and Richard Brown mm -hmm. hired me. Uh, and as a result, we, we spent a lot of time in court. We spent a lot of time with the, as affectionately referred to as the streets. And when you're on the street, you do uh, you do interact with people who are considerably less fortunate or less educated than you are, and uh, you have the opportunity to spread what knowledge you have. Yes. Agreed. And when you started working with Frank and Richard, was it mostly in a criminal law aspect or what was going on with the firm at the time? Well, I think that when I came to work for Frank and Richard, they, they, they were doing more of a, a civil, some civil work. And mm -hmm. as a result, I was able to, with my police background, I was able to interact with people who were hiring the law firm to represent them in criminal matters. And as, as a result, you know, least it followed that I spent a great deal of my few, first few years as a lawyer in uh, the criminal courts. And uh, as is true today, it's an area where you try a lot of cases. So uh, the advantage of uh, trying a lot of these criminal cases to jury, and that was what, what, what it turned out to be just a, a very rewarding career. I, I would remark that the only reason I really did go to law school was to become a prosecutor. But, uh, and now you're here. <laughs> and I'm here, but Frank talked me out of leaving here after I graduated, even though Mike McCann was in the VA, was kind enough to offer me a job as was his uh, uh, then deputy, Bill Gardner. But uh, at that time, they said I was the only one that ever turned it down. But Frank, uh, convinced me that I would be a better prosecutor if I would spend some time, as he would say, quote, in the trenches. Mm -hmm. And I think that was true, except I never got around to leaving. You stayed in the trenches I stayed forever. With, I stayed with, <laughs> with my, my, my mentor, my friend, and my partner, Frank. Right. And obviously, you know, you are the Garen of Gimbel, Riley, Garen, and Brown. So Tom Brown comes along and things are, are growing. What happened with your practice? Because it you know, over the years, it definitely has shifted from where you first started. It, it, it has. I don't know that anybody can control that shift, but mm -hmm. it did occur that we would take on uh, with, with Tom Brown was to try a lot of cases in the, in the federal court. And as a result, I got spent a little bit more time in the federal court. But then uh, the activity in civil practice is what what occurred kind of a, I like to say, kind of a natural but things just happen. As you'll notice when you go through your practice, and most of us have, things evolve without you having any control over how they evolve. Right, right. And I think that's kind of a, a theme throughout the 
legal field is you have very minimal control over things. Well, I, I always use as an example is my partner, Richard Riley. I'm very confident that Richard never went to law school with the idea of becoming a family lawyer. That strikes me as, as ludicrous that anybody would do that intentionally. And certainly knowing Richard, he did not do that intentionally. Right. He, he had tried cases with the Justice Department and uh, certainly family law, a euphemism for divorce law, is uh, was not in the cards at that time. I can only imagine. And, you know, Richard, we did talk about how things have changed for him over the years and how divorce has evolved. And just like that, you know, personal injury, which is some of what you do now and criminal law. And I mean, let's be honest, you're a jack of all trades, but everything you've done has evolved over the years as well. Oh, it certainly has. I mean, I never thought I would take on trying uh, personal injury type cases and yet uh, uh, we had some wonderful success with, uh, with trying some, uh, some very difficult cases where uh, we were able to get uh, more than, or at least adequate compensation for our clients. And that's a great, that's a great feeling. It is a great feeling. What do you think if you could, and I know this is kind of a tough question, but if you could draw on some of your favorite, uh, favorite moments from your practice and the things that gave you those great feelings, um, would you care to share any of those? Well, it's a little difficult to, to think about those, if you will, those great moments, but I, I did teach at uh, Marquette University for about 30 years and uh, tried to share what I knew about the law and what I thought an, an honest, ethical lawyer was. In other words, how he or she behaved. And I've had the benefit of people calling me since that time and telling me that those uh, discussions and those, those uh, lessons that I tried to impart at the time really did take hold. And that, that's, that's rewarding for any teacher. I can imagine. And, and Mike, I'll say this. When you talk, people listen. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, your experience and your knowledge, but also just your personality, I think. Well, and the other thing is I talk a lot. That's true. <laughs> I'll give you that one. So, you know, you obviously joined the firm and it's very early, early days. What is, do you think, Aside from practice areas that you've done, what's the biggest change that you've seen in the firm over the past, you know, Well, when this years? firm started, when Frank started his firm, they were essentially his brother and Richard Wright. Uh, and now I, I, I know what the count is, and I'd love to say I know exactly the count. I don't even know some of the names at this point. <laughs> uh, so, so obviously, that, but what's happened is, I think you can attest to this, the people whom you hired as lawyers really all have one quality, they're nice people. Yeah. And when you work with nice people who have the benefit of a good education, uh, you accomplish a great deal uh, within the legal profession. Yeah. So I think that's a, a major change, of course, is, is, is suggesting is the four of us who ran this firm for a long period of time certainly would not be able to undertake some of the cases that we take today because we need the, the benefit of the education and the drive that some of the younger lawyers um, have brought to the practice. And very honestly, it's beyond my, some of those things are well beyond my ability. It's not just a question of not being able to 
to do the work, especially that beyond my ability. These people are, are really spectacular. I think the firm has, has, a, has a wonderful reputation and it, it looks like it's going to continue for some time. Speaking of abilities, one thing that I will say that I've got a leg up on you is technology abilities. What are your thoughts on well, Zoom and how everything's changed with the pandemic? Well, obviously, that's it, it, it's, it's a major change. You know, I uh, it was interviewed when I was I was involved with the bar association for a period of time mm -hmm. and uh, represented the, the state bar uh, as leader as a leader and. Uh, President and elect, which was, which was a great honor, of course, but I also did at the state, at the local level, representing and uh, serving as president of the Milwaukee Bar Association. And as a result, I, we've had technology shows. And I would go to these technology shows and say some of them, I frankly don't know how any of those things work. I was once interviewed, and they asked me if they, the question was, uh, and I, I, I had some stupid answer because. Uh, I really didn't understand what a lot of this, this technology is about. I see people banging away at their computers, and I'm still trying to figure out how to open a damn thing. <laughs> well, I will say that you are able to get by, though, much better than some other people I know well, in this office. <laughs> you mentioned that one thing that has been consistent is that, you know, we hire nice people, and I couldn't agree more that everyone is a caring, yeah. nice person here. Um, and you know there is a sense that this is a family. How do you balance though? Because I think a lot of people have a hard time balancing the work family with the biological family. What have you done over the years to to find that balance? Well, it's not an it, frankly it's not an easy balance, and I think things were done differently uh, thirty and forty years ago than they are today. Mm -hmm. uh, we would put in. A lot of hours, and then there was a more or less a, a component of uh, public service that we had to uh, that we felt we felt compelled to to participate in, and that that leaves frankly leaves your family by themselves a lot. Yeah. So uh, to say I did a great job on the balance, I some of my kids still talk to me, so I got that going for me, but that's about it. Uh, my wife has not has chosen not to leave me, but uh, other than that, I have no. <laughs> I'd love to tell you I did a great job of balancing those things, but I'm not sure I did. Well, I think you've done a great job yeah. because all of your children are wonderful people, and that doesn't happen by accident. Well, some of them, some of them took a couple of hits on my head that I gave them, so that helped a little bit. Uh, yeah. What is one piece of advice if you could give? Mike Garen, when he started in the legal profession, what's one thing that you would tell him to maybe try to do more or do differently? Well, I'm a product of Jesuit education. And the concept of cura personnel, or in other words, caring about other people, is ingrained in me from the time that I went, went through high school and college and, and law school. Um, so I, I think that's, that's to me, it's been a wonderful way to approach life to recognize that you really have to care about other people and they will take care of you as you go along. Uh, the other bit of advice that I, that I would pass on is, is become involved. And we did become involved. As I say, we did a lot of bar activities and we did a lot of uh, other community activities. And those turned out to give us some return in terms of 
context, but for, for and frankly, sometimes in cases of dollars, but even if it didn't have dollars connected to it, it certainly let us know what's going on in the community. And I think even at this age that I'm at right now, I probably know more about this city than, 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 than some of the elected politicians and what makes this city run. So becoming involved is probably the easiest to way to characterize the bit of advice that I would have given myself years ago. Yeah. And I, I think, realize that's a bit of a disjointed answer to your question. No, I, not at all. Uh, I was going to say that you definitely, I think, without even having the benefit of hindsight now, definitely you were very involved. And I think that you've set an amazing example for people in this firm and in this community of how to give back. Well, thank you very much. And it, uh, it's, uh, that's how we can lead. I guess we can't direct people, but we can show by example and then let them decide whether or not you're a worthy person to follow in, in whatever choice they make. Well, I couldn't agree more, Mike, and you are a very, very worthy person to follow. Well, thank you very much. You mentioned that you're a product of Jesuit education. It is worth noting that you are born and raised in Milwaukee. You went to Marquette High School. I did. Uh, you continued with that. Like we talked about, you then worked for the MPD and you've lived here your whole life. What are some things that you hope to see for Milwaukee in the future? Well, as I said, I went on the civil disturbance marches. I went on the, uh, the open housing marches in the 60s. And I would have hoped, and I certainly predict that 50 years later, would be a better society than we are and less segregated than we are. But I was wrong. And we were still, we're no, frankly, we're no better off than we were 50 years ago in terms of uh, how this city has uh, moved forward with uh, integrating racially. And that racially necessarily brings in economics. We just don't have it. Yeah. And we don't have the leaders that are making that happen. Right. So I don't mean to get carried away with it, but the reality is if you look and say, you know, who are the leaders in this community, it, it certainly, uh, I wouldn't go around criticizing anybody, but there aren't any people that are stepping up. I mean, the mm -hmm. days of, of a Frank Zeiler who uh, cared about social issues, the days of uh, John Norquist who understood urban planning, those are gone. Yeah. You don't have anybody to fill those shoes. Yeah, I learned a couple years ago, and this is, you know, shame on me for not knowing this, but I learned a couple years ago that in Milwaukee still, the street names change when you get from a predominantly white area to a predominantly black area. Okay. And that is quite frankly shocking to me. Yeah. And it's not something that should still be here. Well, I mean, what, what should be, uh, you know, or and ought uh, mm -hmm. is, it's something that we, we can we can argue about a lot because no matter what issue we pick, you always find somebody on the other side who's well-intentioned and, right. and, and knows what they're talking about. But nonetheless, you would think that we would, you know, I say I was on the police department so and went to Marquette High. I also went to, uh, I also came to the south side of mm -hmm. Milwaukee, which uh, is still my home. <laughs> I, I don't live there right now, but I, I still feel like it's my home. But yeah. Because there's some, there some different values on the South Side. People did not have a lot of resources financially mm -hmm. in those days, uh, and my family included. But 
uh, people work together and they got things done and it just, it just doesn't seem to be happening. You go through the, as you say, the street names, mm -hmm. but you also you clearly tell what part of town you're on. Right. If you've never, if you just dropped in here cold, uh, you can tell which part of town you're on. Yeah. And that is not the way it should be. Agreed. I think we can both agree that, you know, one thing that Milwaukee needs and that we hope to see from Milwaukee is a true investment in social diversity, economic diversity, racial diversity, you know, that we make each other better and we should be promoting getting to know our neighbors. Absolutely. Spend a little time with people and you'll find out they're not a great deal different than you are. Yeah. And that's a, it's an issue that, that uh, educators have talked about a long time to try to combat racism, but we still don't do it. You can't find three restaurants in the city of Milwaukee that uh, you would go to on a particular evening and have a mixed crowd of, of uh, African Americans and white people. It just wouldn't happen. It just doesn't happen. And yeah. Some other cities, Philadelphia is what it comes to mind. Uh, it's a nice balance. It's not here. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you know, you mentioned getting to know your neighbors. You've gotten to know some pretty interesting people over your lifetime. Oh, <laughs> Who stands out to you as one of your favorite people to get to know? I rode up the elevator today and somebody <laughs> reminded me that I had represented him when he was in one of the, uh, involved in a major drug trafficking <laughs> ring in 30, 25 years ago and a nice, nice man today. Um, oh, I don't know. But he, uh, and I'll make it easy. You can't choose me as your favorite person. So I'll make it easy. Well, right? I don't know that I have any, any favorite people, but I certainly have, have had the benefit of, uh, of interacting <laughs> with, with, with a lot of a lot of people who, who would stand out as being different. Okay. Um, I'm a little hard pressed to come up with the if I had a little bit of warning, I would have otherwise I'm kind of afraid that, that, I'll, that I'll insult some people if I, if I answer that question a little bit directly. That's fair. That, uh, people who are fascinating individuals who uh, be, uh, turned out to be total crooks, <laughs> fascinating individuals who turned out to be surprisingly wonderful, warm human beings that everybody else thought they were jerks. That's fair. That's fair. I think that, you know, the moral of the story, it's very cliche, but it's truly don't judge a book by its cover. And I think, you oh. know, Gosh, can't do that. It's, uh, I think, and I, I don't mean this in any way, but a compliment. I think you are a great example because I think you can have a rough, rough exterior sometimes. And yeah. I think that when people get to know you, though, there's a, a totally different picture. Okay. Well, thank you, Mike, for taking the time to sit down and talk with me. I, I learn a lot every time we sit down, and I'm just very grateful that you're willing to share your experiences. Oh, I'd be happy to share my experiences. And I've been, I'm one of these people that has been very fortunate through through life in terms of uh, I've got a great family, of six younger sisters, all of whom are very supportive and we still see each other on a regular basis. Uh, that that kind of nurturing, uh, it helps a lot as you're, if you're growing up and uh, working through, you know, I, I, I took a job for a number of years driving truck for Pepsi-Cola. I love that job. Made a lot of money and he's and uh, it was just a wonderful job. But I realized I couldn't do that when I'm 60 years old. I could practice law when I'm 60 years old. I can't take out, pull out 65 pound cases of soda water. Come on, you're strong. You could do it. Maybe once. <laughs> well, thank you, Mike, so much. You know, I can't 
express how much you mean to me and you taking the time. Well, that's right. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for another episode of Zealous and a very special episode of Zealous at That. This series is brought to you by Gimbel, Riley, Karen, and Brown, located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. If you think you need a lawyer, contact us at grgblaw.com. Tune in for our next episode, where we will be back to the regular format and sitting down with another one of our wonderful attorneys. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode of Zealous.